1: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number seven ninety-eight of Locked On Raptors for Monday, October the fifth. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at Woodley Sean. And you can find the show at Locked On Raptors where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Go check it over out over there that is doing some graphics and videos and stuff if you want to get on that train over at Locked On Raptors. So go. Give it a follow. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code On to get 10 bucks off of your next order. Be sure to get on over there. Right now, more on them a little bit later on. In the podcast. All right. On today's show, we continue on with our set of series season reviews for all of the members of the Toronto Raptors. One by one, we are working our way through the roster. Last week, we talked about Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Marcus Saul and Kyle Lowry in what was one of my favorite episodes of the podcast ever last Thursday with Katie. Go check that out. And today, we continue on with another star member of your Toronto Raptors. It is Pascal Siakam, who, uh, you know, despite a not-so-good play, was very good this season and we're going to dive all into the season that was and the season that is to come next year as well as a very good listener question in the back part of the show and joining me to do all of that and more is our friend from the neon playbook from yahoo sports tearing it up over there and of course the dishes and dimes podcast it is yasmin yasmin what's going on
2: not much thanks for having me sean
1: yeah, thanks for coming on. Always happy to have you. Since last we spoke, you've become uh just, just, just owning yahoo sports.com, which is a very, very good thing. There's nothing to complain about there. It's and very happy <laughs> to see you blowing up. So thank you for uh, punching down and hanging out with my useless ass on oh, your no. podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I
1: will not. Uh, all right. So yeah, we mentioned Pascal Siakam is a guy. We are diving into today so we begin as we always have begun with these season review episodes with a look at the season that was he earned himself second team all nba he was an all-star starter for the first time and he kind of fizzled out in the postseason after a very encouraging season in which he averaged 23 points a game 7.3 boards three and a half assists he shot 36 percent from three and for a large part of the season was the biggest portion of the Raptors offense night to night and they were really good with him on the floor and also their worst on off split with a guy on the bench came with Pascal sidelined as well so their success was very much tied to him he drove winning in a way that I did not expect to see in his first season as the number one option taking over for Kawhi Leonard on the pecking order yeah has been obviously we'll have to talk about the playoffs a little bit but overall what were your impressions of Pascal's first season really in the driver's seat for the team and really his just second season with any sort of meaningful significant offensive role
2: um I really really enjoyed the season uh, from Pascal um you know it wasn't night to night um dominance where he was regularly posting you know thirty points he didn't have like like those automatic numbers that players in you know, the top five of the league would otherwise have. Um, but night to night, he was really enjoyable. I even liked seeing the nights where he was trying to figure it out or the nights where he really had to kind of dig deep to find something and to give the team what, what they needed. Um, and it was, it was really cool to see. Um, and what's interesting about Pascal is that perhaps it's like from his beginnings as a bench player, but um, he, he, if he doesn't have it on a particular night, he has this really cool av- ability to kind of just um, impact the game in different ways, mm-hmm. which I think stems from being uh, once a role player. And you know, Kawhi Leonard does the same thing where if he's not having a particularly efficient night, which is pretty rare, but it did happen a couple of times in last year's playoffs. Um, he would, you know, get 18 rebounds or he would <laughs> play. Um, he would, he would make, you know, that, uh, game saving uh, defensive play at the end. And we had so many moments from that from Pascal, which, you know, I think his future will be as a really, really well rounded player um, who finds different ways to impact the game. So I, I really enjoyed the season for Pascal. I'm really excited for next year because, you know, he has that precedent for just year to year growth and I'm really excited to see what he comes back with. And I'm not even talking about um, adding a million skills or anything. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not really expecting that. I think he's kind of reached the the, um, uh, the zenith of his capabilities. But, like, I'm really interested to see how he works on the peripheries of his game and how he kind of just polishes um, the kind of guy that he is right now.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think... Overwhelmingly this was a wonderfully positive season for Pascal and I think if you are focusing too much on the bubble and the playoffs you're kind of missing the point. This is a guy who was like an opportunistic scorer as the number two option on that championship team. And probably the number three, really, if like the chips are really down, I think you'd rather have Kyle with the ball in his hands. And Kyle was yeah. a better, you know, creator and initiator than Pascal ever was. And Pascal often took advantage of all the attention that guys like Kyle and Kawhi soaked up from defenses and did so wonderfully well. And, you know, shot like 95% on those little push shots and things like that. This season, it was a completely different set of circumstances for him and i think it's really easy to kind of overlook how impressive it was that he just totally overhauled his shot chart in a way that i it's got to be kind of unprecedented the way he did that and also maintained like pretty reasonable efficiency like no was he not he wasn't like scoring at like a 63 true shooting or anything like that the way he did for much of his third season and in the championship season but To maintain, like, I think it was something like a 56 or 57 true shooting over the course of the season, shot 36% from three. Uh, in a season where he kind of abandoned corner threes and it was like all from above the break a lot of it pull-ups like it's just really hard to do that on the fly with one summer to work on it and coming back and being able to completely change the places you're getting your shots from and I don't think it's surprising that there was a drop off in efficiency you know obviously his mid-range game still needs some work I think you know the situations in which he was getting those push shots around the basket and getting close to the rim were obviously a lot more sort of burdensome and with a lot more resistance than they were uh, during the pre season when they were often kind of uncumbered drives to the basket from the baseline and things like that but that's all to be expected and the fact that he succeeded the way he did the fact that he drove winning the way he did despite that completely altered shot profile and role is bloody impressive and I think you cannot lose sight of that because I can't imagine many players who would have that similar sort of you know, adaptability and their ability to sort of have their skills and stuff catch up to their role with such a quick turnaround. I mean, can you even think of an example of someone who kind of not only beefed up their their sort of output, but did so in a completely different way than their previous output had come, Yasmin?
2: Um, I don't think that an example actually exists. I think that the yeah. closest people could get to in terms of a player completely altering their style of play for their team is Blake Griffin, like someone right. who... kind of changed his role into becoming that kind of uh, offensive hub wing creator sort of guy that he is today. Um, I think that Pascal's um, strength and his value kind of lies in how malleable he's shown himself to be. Like, this is a guy who led the offense for the second best team um, in the NBA, like second in the regular season. So, uh, And it's not even about the offense. I think he's shown that he can be kind of the – the, I, I don't know the word particularly, but he can be that kind of guy who holds the defense together, who mm-hmm. fixes mistakes, who um, he, he, he people kind of understate how important he was to the Raptors defense. Um, in particular, like with with so many players in and out of the lineup due to injuries, one thing you can count on uh, for most of the season was Pascal being able to um, recover to contest the most threes in the NBA um, like that energy that he's shown uh, is, is just so important and you know perhaps he can never be that um, guy who can take you to a finals you know we I think we have yet to see um, him I, I think that, that would be the next challenge for Nick Nurse sorry mm-hmm. where it would be to show whether or not Pascal can carry a top seven offense um, which which is absolutely possible based on the personnel they surround him with and how easy or difficult they make that to be. But mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, despite that, I think we know that he can carry a top defense, which is you know equally important for championship caliber team. Um, and whether they, um, you know, I think I think that it's been clear from Masai that the intention going forward for the team, you know, the three year outlook per se, um, isn't about building around pascal as a superstar but rather um creating something that can last for more years um and yeah i think it's going to be really fascinating to see how that pans out but i i think that people should really just kind of enjoy the ride enjoy seeing him um push to his limits seeing him um stressed and then recover Um, because that, that I wrote about this in particular about Pascal where, um, we're going to look back on these times and be like, yo, do you remember that year where he kind of flopped in the playoffs, (laughs) but he had a really fun season and it was the year that we saw like, you know, this guy is an all-star caliber player and he was the 28th pick. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, it's important that we kind of just enjoy the ride and find, you know, the joy that is in seeing players improve, um, year to year.
1: Perspective. It's very important as it turns out. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I like the point that you made about the, the defense and sort of how he made everything kind of work. And that's totally true. I mean, how many think pieces were written this season about the Raptors and how they were testing the bounds of math by allowing more corner threes <laughs> than any team in history. And that's not feasible. If you don't have Pascal Siakam, who's like the best corner three contester in the entire league, you know, scrambling and recovering and soaring out and leaving those defenders. I think as Mike Prada put it in his great piece, you know, seeing ghosts, even when they're not there, just because you know that that's just sort of the length and that the the sort of fear that he would inspire and like that's not nothing and also there's a reason why as he was putting up like four of 18s in the postseason it was just never an option to bench him because without him their defense became so much less and the reason they were in that Celtic series, as long as they were down to the final minutes was that their defense was ridiculous the entire time and made everything difficult for Boston. And if you subbed anybody in there, not named Pascal Siakam, there's no way you have that same sort of effect on Boston's offense, which in theory should kind of run along pretty seamlessly against any defense, but the Raptors made it so difficult. Yeah. And obviously did not.
2: Yeah. That was a top four D offense with multiple uh, creators on the court at all times. Um, And, you know, I, I, weirdly enough, I find solace in the fact that it went down to basically like a possession at game seven with Pascal forgetting all sense of offensive basketball uh, throughout (laughs) the series. So um, if there's anything fans want to hold on to, it's that. Um, But yeah, like the reason they were in it and the reason why um, no one really looked good in that series besides Kyle Lowry was because of Pascal Siakam's (laughs) defense.
1: Absolutely. Uh, We're going to sort of leave off on that point going forward and sort of talk about how the sort of failure offensively of Pascal in the playoffs can be, you know, built upon in the offseason. And we'll look ahead to next season and where Pascal is going to fit in. But first, I want to tell people about Roman, look, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually you'll just brush it off or blame yourself by saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy and uh, easy to talk about, that is, with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet with Roman. You can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to get Roman.com NBA and get a complete online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Once again, go to get Slash locked on NBA today if approved you'll get 15 off your first order of an ED treatment that's slash locked on NBA, slash locked on NBA.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama Every Monday Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the NBA playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: All right, Yasmin, let's continue on and look to the future of Pascal Siakam, in particular the 2020-2021 season, which we have no idea when it's going to begin. We have no idea how long the offseason for Pascal Siakam to work out with Rico Hines is going to be. But we do clearly have like a starting point for what his offseason should look like and what he should be looking to refine. So that's my question to you, Yasmin, having seen what went down in the playoffs and, you know, during his lower spells during the season as well, it was not a straight upward trajectory. There was certainly a bit of a roller coaster where started off great. There was a bit of a dip. And then I think by the time the shutdown happened, he had kind of ascended back to close to where he was at the start of the season, in particular, that Utah game before the shutdown was one of his better ones all season long and so with that you know taking all of it into account Yasmin what do you think Pascal most needs to work on ahead of next season where presumably he's going to be the number one option once again
2: um, I think it's less dramatic than what people think you know I after that series people are like you know he needs to overhaul his offense he needs to develop you know a better um he needs to be like ambidextrous and all this <laughs> but I don't think it's um as uh, drastic um you know, through that, I think we saw from when he entered the bubble, um, from the beginning that he didn't look quite right. Um, he just seemed kind of like his legs were made of lead or something. I don't think his conditioning was up to par, mm-hmm. so um, I, I yeah, I, th- I just think it's less um drastic. So for me, I would think that it would be about getting his conditioning to not just where it was, but I think that he needs to um become far more like his endurance just needs to increase to that of a number one option and a number one options endurance is not that of a 16 point you know per game score or third option on a championship team it's it's far more taxing so i think that getting his um endurance up is very important i think that um increasing his balance is another thing for him um he's so slinky and his angles are very um difficult unless he develops a better balance i think um maybe becoming a little bit stronger uh, a better handle it's all like just things on the fringes that i think that he can tighten up Mm -hmm. that would end up having a huge huge impact on his game altogether but i think that the number one thing would be a tighter handle because The one thing, like, for a power forward, his handle is great. Like, it's up there as among the best for power forwards. But in order to be the type of player that I think he can be, or the type of player that I think that the Raptors are trying to develop him as, which is a wing scorer, he needs to be able to comfortably... Um, snake into the teeth of defenses, get right into the paint where he wants to be. And we saw during the Celtic series where um, a player's handle is often like the first indication of where their endurance is throughout the game. And we saw that after the second half, it got scary because <laughs> him holding the ball was not a guaranteed possession. We just saw just very uncharacteristic loose handles uh, from Pascal um, that we saw kind of at the beginning of the season, like the very, first five games i would say he was turnover prone but he completely eliminated um how turnover-prone he was going throughout the regular season, even versus top teams. Like, turnovers just weren't something that were characteristics of Pascal. Like, um, when it came to double teams, he was very good at getting the ball out of his hands. Two shooters. um, He's surprisingly good at passing out of double teams for a player doing this in their first year. Mm -hmm. Um, But that all of that was kind of eliminated um, when his endurance was tested. So I think that a tighter handle would change everything. And if there are two things that I would um, think that he'd come back with um, to make him himself a better player it'd be the tighter handle and it would be um a more consistent three-point shot so getting the reps and making his form more consistent um shot to shot no matter how tired he is i think Mm -hmm. those two things would um solidify him as a second team all-nba player uh perennially like i don't think that it would be a one-off thing for him um i think that this is something that he can replicate next year too
1: yeah, I'm totally with you on both counts. I think with the handle, I'm, I'm in agreement. I think that is the number one thing because that would just open up so much more to him, right? I think it would make it easier for him to get into those spaces where he can kind of pull up and quick fire a pull up jumper where he has the height over most people defending him in a way that he can't right now. It's kind of got to be more deliberate and sort of plotted out where he has space to rise up. I also think, you know, think about how terrifying it is when he's going downhill as the ball handler, I think back to that Suns game in the Kawhi season where I think Kawhi was out and Pascal like had the game winner where he just got downhill. I think going left and it was like whoa, like he's just so fast and explosive, and his strides are so long he can get to the rim so quickly that there are very few people who can stay in front of him and. I think if you just like have a better starting point with that handle to kind of get into those movements and work around a screen, and you're not sort of like, you know, Stanleying from the office, like you're just like, you know, not to say yeah. it was that bad, but like at times where it would kind of get that bad, <laughs> where it was just sloppy. And I think, you know, you can kind of get it swiped away and things it like w- that. It- yeah exactly
2: like when you when you have a tighter handle you don't have to make decisions initially like right away Mm -hmm. you know um, we see it with all of the top players they get into the teeth of the defense and they like pause for a couple seconds to think about what am I going to do you know and then they get they get um defenders on their back and they kind of you know if he can kind of start to practice that even more so than um uh Post ups, I think that would be like a kind of a game changer because with the construction of the Raptors, what's really good about it is that because they are five out, you can't build a wall against Pascal. So usually mm. on a night to night basis, he has the upper hand and one thing that has been true about him, even since the championship season, was that if you give him the height advantage, he's most certainly scoring on you. You know, we saw it versus Draymond. We saw it versus you know when Igudala had chances on him. Like throughout the season as well, if he has a height advantage, it doesn't really matter how good of a defender you are because mm. he finds those angles and he gets over you. He's not afraid to do that. But that was completely eliminated in the Boston series uh, versus Jalen Brown, who I don't think would have stood a chance in a regular season matchup uh, mm-hmm. because of um, just how the impact the bubble kind of had on Pascal. Like He told us that he didn't play um, – he hasn't really touched a basketball for months. And I kind of chalked it up to players um, trying to lower our expectations so that they can surprise us <laughs> because I'm pretty sure Giannis <laughs> said the same thing.
1: Yeah.
2: But he, he truly did not touch a basketball, and it was really, really evident
1: um yeah, people know yeah, how small I, I Toronto condos him. are it's a miserable existence <laughs> to be one of those things for that From what what, yeah
2: like he was he was really locked in in a country uh I just read recently that he had visa issues which makes a lot of sense because mm. the courts were basically all closed down and I don't know if you can have the star of the Toronto Raptors practicing out in the open um during a time where everyone's locked in their homes. so yeah. <laughs> um yeah so that's like that's the thing for me like i just i don't know how much i can take away from the playoff bubble because he did not look right even versus a you know hospital nets team <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think with Pascal too, like there, I think there was this impression that like even just from watching the Celtics series that like he needed to like be stronger and work on his strength because he was kind of getting batted around by Jalen Brown on those post-ups and things like that. But like, I don't think that's the case either. He's really strong as it is. And like a lot of the post-ups he would have in the regular season kind of, you know, illustrated that he would just kind of bully guys and back them down until he could just kind of plop it in over them. And I just guy's feel like, bigger than Jalen. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's a big dude. He's thick. Like he's like, I think he's deceptively strong. And so that's not even something I'm so much concerned about. I think the handle thing is really what it all keeps coming back to for me. And what I'd really like to see is, you know, how Jason Tatum kind of like, will see a whole, will drive into it and then kind of hit it like a running back almost where he'll like kind of pick the ball up. He's strong with the ball going up. You know, Pascal does this thing where he's a little bit timid. He won't hit those holes the same way because he's worried about getting swatted away. So he's got to be more probing about things. And then when he kind of goes up for finishes, he kind of goes up with like one hand sort of like softly and delicately, which is nice and it, it works for him, but just kind of having a little bit more like brutishness to the way he drives and just sort of more direct, you know, to the point action, I think would be such a huge help and I don't think he can't get there by any means he's insanely fast he's insanely sort of squiggly and wriggly and like what's the word yeah, of that's the word like he's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why those other words other snake words I guess um, <laughs> but that yeah sorry carry on
2: no I agree um, and I feel like um you know, people suggesting that he gain a mid-range and all that. Those things aren't immediately tangible, I don't think. You know, those things take, I feel like, a couple of years to kind of brew. Um, There are stages in the programs required to, you know, gain a respectable mid-range soon enough. And I feel like McNurse wouldn't be using that kind of play unless it was a high-percentage shot uh, or developed to a high-percentage shot. But for Pascal, I feel like a handle is something that's very, very tangible for him. I can, you know, with what will probably be five to six months off. It's it's a very easy thing for him to get. And interestingly enough, um, Jason Tatum's handle was, I think, I feel like the biggest, if people talk about his side step three and all that, but his handle tightening over the off season mm-hmm. is what I think transformed him into the, the a top tier superstar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that he didn't have. It was it, driving for him was always, a he would look down because he wasn't sure about his handle. Was, he, was, he had a lot of tunnel vision but when you can look up and you, you can uh, navigate the defenses and, you know, we see him utilize those screens set for him, that has been like the, a game changer for him. And with Pascal, I feel like just tightening that handle would allow him to gain even more advantages than he already physically has because he's already kind of a bit of a unicorn. So mm-hmm. um, that would be, that would be, yeah, the next step for him is the handle and endurance. I feel like that would just be a game changer for him.
1: Me, the person who can't dribble a ball to my legs, telling Pascal Siakam to tighten the handle, go do it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's absolutely on the table for him for sure. And I think uh, an improvement upon this very good season is very much in the cards next season as well, which leads us into the final segment of the show. where We are going to answer a pretty tough listener question from our friend Asad Alvi uh, at Swar Lasers on Twitter. He's been on this podcast before. We're going to answer that question about Pascal and sort of his future lot in the Raptors future in just a sec. But first, I want to tell people about Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar ever there's six new flavors that they've added to their delicious flavor profile now with 18 flavors on hand the new flavors include caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry bars sea lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake and apple almond crisp joining their original complement that includes some of my favorites like peanut butter banana bread and the all-time best flavor toffee almond bars are covered in 100 percent chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew and they're great for the health conscious person as well you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber and they're great for keto diets as well The flavors you got on hand, for example, peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, five grams of sugar, and five grams of net carbs. And the brand new Cherry Bar Sia, 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. On the whole, you are not going to find a protein bar that both tastes and feels as good when you're chewing it and also is as healthy as a Built Bar. There's seven times less sugar in a Built Bar than there is in a Cliff Bar, for example, right now, Built Bar is offering you a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. So get on it right away. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code Locked On for ten bucks off on your next order. Again, that's promo code Locked On for ten bucks off and a free cooler at builtbar.com.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league
1: All right, Yasmin, so we will finish off today's episode as we have always done with these season review episodes with a listener question. And again, as promised before the break, this one comes from our pal Assad at Swarlasers on Twitter. Go watch Pick and Roll With It. It's great. Him and our friend Iman. Uh, his question is, do you see Siakam as a never-trade foundation piece like Kyle Lowry, or is he a trade-for-upgrade star like DeMar DeRozan? A very good question that I am a little bit torn on. I think I'm leaning one way on this, but how do you feel about this, Yasmin? Um,
2: I think that I think that moving forward, the only sure things about the Raptors are Pascal Siakam and Ogianna mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, with the way the league is trending – Uh, dominant two-way wings that can just impact the game as a net positive night and night out uh, are like the future of the NBA. I feel like that's how teams are going to try and make up their entire rosters as. um, And I feel like those two players just fit the mold beautifully. Um, Moving forward, like, I think that they're going to be foundational pieces. um, And, you know, I feel like um, with DeMar DeRozan, um, it was such a unique situation. And those opportunities where superstars are available for trade and where you can get um, a huge increase in your value that's kind of disproportionate to what you're giving up are so rare. Uh, and that trade in of it itself was historic because of that. Um, so I, I I, just, I, weirdly enough, I think of um, Pascal as just really like a student of Larry, more so even mm-hmm. than Fred Van Vliet. Uh, weirdly enough because um just the way he impacts the game on both ends and how he finds his he finds a way to be a positive on the court even on nights where he's particularly like inefficient is just it's it's special and it's something that you don't find easily so um because of that that's why I think that they're gonna stick with their two wings and try and find ways to build around that moving forward and I think that I think that Pascal's already proven that he can be um that Sidekick to a dominant wing, if Masai uh, elects to bring that into the roster moving mm-hmm. forward. So, um, because of that, because of that alone, he's a max player. I think people need to realize that he's not overpaid. Um, he's 26 years old and has a history of improvement, and has already won a championship, and has already been a huge cog in a championship team. So, that alone um, is what renders him worth his money. And I think that if the Raptors intend to be another one-off championship team. Yeah, trade him, get another superstar. But if you want to build a potential dynasty that can dominate for several years, for four years, like, you know, um, you know, with the Warrior Squad and whatnot, then you find a team, uh, a free agent to add to an already established core, to an already established winning system. And if you um, lose Pascal... Uh, in the process of doing that, you lose a huge part of your culture and your um, system because of that. You know, you would think about the ways the Raptors would need to rebuild their defense had how, t- how they would need to um, find someone else to fill his role. Um, so, you know, for those reasons, I think that he's a, he and OG Ananobi are the only two players on the roster who I don't see being traded because they just feel, fit an archetype um, for an NBA team that would, you know, that you need nowadays in 2020.
1: Yeah, I think I I mentioned I was sort of leaning one way. I'm definitely leaning the direction you're leaning as well. I I think, you know, I understand where the question comes from for sure in that, you know, maybe he can never figure out like a, 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 a different level of efficiency on offense in the playoffs. And maybe you would perceive that as being limiting the way it was with DeMar, but that only takes into account one end of the floor. And if Pascal were, you know, an average to slightly above average defender at best, then maybe it's a conversation you entertain, but he's a really freaking good defender, potentially all defense if it ever all comes together for an entire season. And like you said, like we've said on this podcast multiple times, he is so key to what the Raptors want to do defensively that I do lean toward more him being a foundational guy. And I'm glad you brought up the max contract thing. Like that, that's important for two reasons. One, if he, you know, I could see it on the side of, hey, he's a max contract that other team would want, therefore it could work to sort of trade for an upgrade on Superstar, then sure, that, that makes sense. But also, he's a max contract. He's cost certain for the next little while here on a rookie-scale max contract extension. It's not like one of the ones where you're a 10-year player or anything like that. And also, like, if he's only ever caps out as a 2B or a 3 on a championship-level team, that is still a max player, as you just said. And that is still incredibly exactly. valuable to have. <laughs> and like this season and next season, I think, are sort of the fact-finding years for Pascal. And it's all about figuring out what you need to put around him. And if it's you need someone better than him to fill it around him, then so be it. You try and go do that, and you have high ambitions for free agency for that reason. And if he slots in as your number one because he comes out next year and sets the world on fire, great, that's awesome too. And I think, yeah, positionally, it's such a more important position to have. A four who can play... You know, I don't know. He can play the three, he can play the five, he can guard anybody. And he's not a two guard who doesn't shoot threes and can't play defense. And again, that's like a really unfavorable way to paint DeMar DeRozan. But ultimately there was a reason why (laughs) him being your high usage guy was always going to cap you out when you got to the playoffs in terms of your ceiling. Whereas Pascal doesn't bring that same thing. I mean, we just saw them almost beat a Celtics team that I think was much better than say that 2018 Cavs team that the Raptors lost to that they probably should have beaten considering their statistical profiles. And that was because DeMar really couldn't hang and had to be, benched in that series and bring in lesser players. Whereas even when Pascal's offense wasn't you know, hitting in that Celtics series, his defense was still there and he could still be on the floor and you could achieve your best self with him out there as opposed to not. And so, yeah, I think I lean right. more towards the foundational side of thing. My question, Yasmin is like, I'm trying to even think of yeah. if a star were to become available, like who are we talking about here? And at what point would you say, yeah, that's a guy I would trade Pascal for straight up because there's not a ton. Like I think Pascal's value is probably higher right now than DeMar's wasn't when he got traded. And again, that's not right. a slight to DeMar. It's just, it's a two way game and Pascal offers both ways of the floor. And now you're thinking like, okay, who are some of the stars who might come up over the next few years? Maybe it's Carl Anthony towns. Maybe it's, um, you know, Bradley Beal, even then, like it, that, doesn't seem like a pretty. That doesn't seem like a trade the Raptors would want to pursue because of again the two way aspect of things. But is there someone out there who might be on tap to be disgruntled in the next few years? He would think, okay, that's the guy the Raptors should cash in Pascal for, and, and sort of make him that trade for an upgrade star like Demar was.
2: Um, the only situation I could think of would be a player at his position, which would you know. I feel like Giannis is the only option. Someone that's his age. That would be on a long-term contract if he signs his Supermax and um, elects to um, request a a trade. So that would be, you know, the only situation I can think of. Um, It would have to be a dominant wing um, that's unhappy with their situation. And there's very few of that, you know, in the NBA right now. I I don't think I would do it for a um, a backcourt player. I don't think I would even do it for a center right now. Um, I think that it would have to fit the scheme of the team, uh, and it would have to be for a two-way player. So that's the only scenario um, that I can uh, think of where it would happen. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't. And I wouldn't say that I wouldn't be open to it because, you know, the, like Masai always says that the objective is to win, at, you know, at any cost. Um, and, you know, I think we saw, I think it's important for fans to uh, remember that we saw with um, the Milwaukee Bucks that it's not just about that one uh, dominant superstar player. It's about the environment that you kind of build around them and the pieces that you put next to them. Um, And, you know, if, 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 uh, if, if, if if we've learned anything uh, in the last two years is that um, it, it, you know, it's about putting the players next to them that um, are opportunistic, that can find um, uh, advantages and that can fill in for that superstar role on a um, semi-regular basis, which Pascal did when um, Masai was, when, uh, sorry, when Kawhi Leonard w- was off on his rare nights. Um, and, you know, if that makes him, you know, that alone, I think makes him a max contract guy. And if, if it, by their metric, Kyle Lowry himself would not be a max contract guy because he's not a top five player. Mm-hmm. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, it, if it was only reserved for those type of types of players, then it wouldn't make sense. It's also reserved for uh number two guys and number for three guys that can bring you a championship you know we see it with clay thompson <laughs> we see it with even uh, i think Draymond green is on a max contract you know <laughs> so um i yeah you know i think that i think that uh, for me i i i envision uh, a a three wing team where og and pascal are major players that's i think that's the future for the franchise um and i think that the only the only um piece that is kind of Uh, that has a more unsure future would probably be Fred Van Vliet. I don't know the direction that this team moves in and whether he fits in or not, but I think those two guys are the only sure things.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And that feels like a pretty good place to leave it for today. Yasmin, thank you so much for joining me today to offer your wonderful expertise. Where can people check out your work?
2: Um, My blog, The Neon Playbook. I'm posting something today. Um, I've have, I have a few pieces written for basketballnews.com and Yahoo Sports Canada, um, which has been really fun to do. Um, and yeah, what can I say? I like talking Pascal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I gave you the option to pick from anyone left and it was pretty quick. Yeah, we're doing Pascal when, when we uh, set this yep.
2: up. I was surprised. surprised him and OG weren't taken. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to leave some of like the, the bigger, sexier names for later on and getting some of the end of bench guys out of the way. But everything- Who went... wants Rondé?
2: <laughs> yeah, well,
1: Vivek <laughs> wants Rondé, apparently. We did him last week because he was just so keen on talking about Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I love it. Yeah, but... Rondé is
2: a great play to talk about. <laughs> (laughs)
1: We're into a good run now. Katie picked Kyle for, for Thursday's episode. We got Pascal in today. We'll probably get OG in at some point this week as well. And a whole bunch more. We might even talk about Kyle Larry movie star sometime this week. Apparently he's going to oh, be, in an Adam Sandler yeah. movie, which is fantastic. So we'll even talk about that <laughs> plenty to come this week. I'm sure there'll be some other news that pops up and some dumb rumors to shoot down. Like we did with the Montrez Herald thing last week as well. So thank you so much for tuning in uh, tune in the rest of the week, as we will have you covered here on the podcast as we're sticking daily. It's the off season, but we're still going to be with you every single day going forward. And you can find me uh, on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can find the show at locked on Raptors. And please make sure you're checking out the entire, Entirety of the locked on podcast network in particular if you're a hockey fan the nhl draft goes tomorrow and live on youtube and the at Lockdown live twitter account at 9 p.m the folks over there are hosting a live draft reaction show which should be a lot of fun that uh, i encourage you to listen to uh, or watch that's what you do with a live show you watch it anyway that's gonna do it thank you so much for tuning in we'll talk to you again on tuesday with another episode of locked on raptors